What is up, everybody? Welcome to Three Wide in the Middle, your home for all things racing with me, Thomas Brandon, and with me, my man, Keith Bradley. Keith, how's it going? What is up? Long time no talk. I uh, know, man. How was your uh, Thanksgiving? It was pretty good. How was yours? It was good, man. Um, we had a good time, dude. I uh, was insanely busy. Um, the, I have... I've never been so busy. I've never been so busy in all my life. I am so freaking exhausted. It's not even funny. So, but I mean, you know, it's, um, it's not a bad thing. It's it's a good problem to have, but yeah, just, it was, uh, it was good to, to eat some good food and, uh, just relax, which was nice for a change. I, <laughs> I completely agree. Uh, uh, we, uh, I worked the night before Thanksgiving, so I had a, a very long thanksgiving day i slept for a few hours maybe if that and then went to father-in-law and mother-in-laws and drug ass the whole time nice yeah we had so we had two thanksgivings essentially um so my family and then my wife's family gets together for thanksgiving as well and so my family has always done thanksgiving early we always did ours at one o'clock in the afternoon that's, I mean, always, that's what we've always done. And so we eat at one o'clock and then usually by three, four o'clock, um, we're heading to my wife's family where they're usually, they're just getting done eating. Um, we don't eat with them because we eat with my family, but then we go out there and then we're out there for usually three or four more hours. And usually out there, we play a bunch of games and stuff like that. So we played like, you know, lots, lots of which is like a version of, it's almost like a version of bingo. It's like Mexican bingo, I guess you would call it. Um, and then we play this other game where you, it's called take one, take all or something like that. You have like a little top that you spin and on the, the top, whatever it lands on, you either have to put in a quarter, take out a quarter. Everyone has to put in a quarter. You know, everyone has to put in two quarters or, and then, or if, or you, the person who spends it, it, there's also one that says take it all, where you take all of the money that's in the pot. And so we, we do that with quarters. It's, it's pretty fun. So anyways, that's, that's what we do. Um, and usually at the end of the day, I am just dead on my feet, like dead man walking. So, so yeah, that's, that's how I was typically like my mother-in-law and father-in-law's is later in the evening. More towards dinner time, so that I would have had plenty of time to sleep. But they changed it this year to one o'clock, and then the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, we had my parents over at the new house, and nice, it's a good time. It was nice. fun. Yeah, Black Friday. Um, I think Black Friday is kind of a joke now. Black Friday, most... they, they it starts on the first day of November. There is no Black yeah. Friday anymore. No, it's Every, the most, yeah. The most overrated holiday, if you want to classify it as yeah, a holiday. or shopping day now. I mean, every yeah. everything that I've seen is you know Black Friday is still going on, Cyber Monday is still going on. You can still find those deals out there, and they're called Black Friday deals. Like they're still out there. And Black Friday used to be a Friday. It was that Friday. That's what made it special. That was why you went to the stores. Now you can get those deals for a whole month, two months. So I mean, dude. I saw Christmas specials online back in September, right? Like, I, I mean, it. It, it's just, and look, I love the Christmas season. I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. I absolutely yep. love it. I'm, even though I'm 40 years old, I'm like a kid. I 
absolutely loved decorating the house with my son this year and my wife and my daughter and stuff like like I love it. I absolutely love it. But the shopping stuff has gotten freaking ridiculous. It's so stupid. Yeah. Like I don't I don't see the enjoyment that everybody gets in Black Friday anymore when you can go on Amazon and get mm-hmm. the same deal yep. two months beforehand. Yep. Which is fine by me. I mean I don't care either way. I got a really good deal Black Friday shopping on Amazon on some cameras for outside the house and I mean yep. I'm not gonna complain but uh Probably the most overrated holiday, if you want to classify yeah. it. I mean, hell, I get holiday pay for it at work, so yeah, that's insane. That's, that's the only that's the only thing I look forward to on Black Friday. That's insane. I did not know they gave holiday. That's I mean, that's awesome. Congratulations! I mean, yeah, I'm not, I'm you not are winning. In, about it. <laughs> yeah, you're winning in life if you're getting holiday pay for Black Friday. That's awesome. But so. I mean, you can you could probably even speak for this. I remember Black Friday was a you were lucky to getting some lines at some stores like i remember as a kid going black friday shopping getting ready the night of thanksgiving oh yeah at our local walmart and then it was just a free-for-all for yeah everything. yeah they would that was like walmart would actually close right target would close like all the stores would close they would actually close and, then, and they would lock the front doors and stuff like that and then they would start setting up for black friday and i remember as a kid my mom going to bed and getting up early for Black Friday. And I mean like 3.30 in the morning she would get up yeah. and go shopping with my aunt and her friend, you know, stuff like that. Like there'd be a, a couple of them, three or four of them, and they would go to these stores and they would wait in line. And my mom would tell stories about people fighting over toys and just chaos. She always tells this one story when I was a kid um, for Christmas. I wanted like the little Ninja Turtle figurines. You know, I loved Ninja Turtles when I was a kid. And she tells the story about going shopping on Black Friday and just having to, you know, go through this bin trying to find these damn Ninja Turtles. And it was just like chaos, you know, just madness. And I remember, you know, a few years ago, probably five, six years ago now, taking my wife Black Friday shopping. I sat in the car with my son. I'm like, I'm not going in there. That's stupid. But I remember it started, you know, we saw this big push where Black Friday would start early. It would start after Thanksgiving, right? Eight o'clock Thursday night, Black Friday starts, right? And I remember I was like, you know, if they keep pushing it earlier and earlier, it's not going to be a Black Friday thing. It's just going to be a sale. And that's where we're at now. It's just a, it's a month long of, of sales. So, yeah. Yep. It's one of those things I'm I, I I just don't partake in. I will spend extra money just to not deal with Black Friday crowds. But we don't, we don't even really have them anymore. I guess. I mean, it doesn't. You don't see the stories like you used to see. I mean, so. it, it definitely ain't as prominent as it used to be because of the online shopping has yeah. grown. Yep. Definitely. So. But anyways, we've got a bunch of stuff to cover here on the racing front. If you've never seen. For those of you who might be watching the video recording of this, uh, if you've never seen Pissed Off Tommy, you're going to see him today um, because we've got some stuff that I I can't handle stupidity. I can't handle um, moronic talk, and you'll understand what I mean by that later as we get into the podcast. People who who just espouse moronic statements without any sense of thought behind it just because they're they're taking a position i can't stand that i cannot stand that it's like you 
idiots out there who played this, you know, the pol the politics, right, on either side. You don't care what the other side has to say just because they're on the opposite of you. They're wrong, right? And this goes for both sides. I'm not picking a side. This goes for both sides. People who, I can't stand that because you can't have any type of talk or debate with them in a constructive manner. And we're seeing this now with in, in some of the, the sprint car world, the dirt racing world, where you've got idiots coming out just talking nonsense without any thought of what they're actually talking about. So we're going to get into that in hit or miss. But before we do that, I have another subject I'm pissed off about, and it's NASCAR, because NASCAR is literally becoming the stubborn jackass that is just not going to do it because they said so. And I'm getting so sick and tired of it. It is starting to really piss me off. So what am I talking about? Well, as you guys know, NASCAR season's uh, it's, so it's over, okay? And Ryan Blaney won the championship at Phoenix. And a few weeks later, the teams, right? A bunch of them, not all of them, but a handful of teams went all the way back out to Phoenix to do some testing. Now, NASCAR was doing this because they need to fix the short track package on these cars. This is obvious, okay? We have talked about this literally at nauseum. Like, it's it's been a subject of conversation every single short track and road course race. These cars were built to work on the short tracks and the road courses, and they don't. Well, I shouldn't say they don't. The problem is, is they work so well, the racing sucks, okay? It's horrible racing. You've got these cars that are now phenomenal on the speedways, the mile, mile and a half tracks. The racing is incredible. You get these things on a short track, the racing sucks. It's horrible. And there's a lot of reasons for this, okay? Well, at least NASCAR says there's a lot of reasons for this. And so they went to fix these problems, to test these issues. First of all, the first thing that pisses me off is, is if you haul the teams across the country a couple of, you know, a few weeks after they were just there, folks, they didn't go to Florida, okay? They went to fucking Phoenix, Arizona. That is literally across the United States for them, Okay. It's literally across the United States. If you're going to have teams do that, don't start scratching stuff off the test list. Don't just start, well, we can't do this now, or we can't do this because it's going to take too long, or this is going to... And that's what they started doing. They were going to start trying to figure out the transaction and the shifting. Well, if they just took that off the list, we can't do that. It's going to take the team too, too long to figure it out. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Well, then why'd you bring them out there? Like, what are we, what are we doing? And, and give a better reason than that. Okay, because this is the thing that's pissing fans off, at least fans like myself and the people that I know and that I'm talking to. I don't care if change doesn't happen. This is the thing that I want you to understand, because you're going to I'm going to come across as somebody who's just mad that they're not changing things. That's not the case. I'm not mad that they're not changing things. I am mad that they refuse to try them in the first place. That's what pisses me off. Okay, when you sit there and you Folks, I am not a racing engineer, okay? I'm not an engineer. I don't study computational fluid dynamics. I don't have a freaking wind tunnel. Yet, I can tell you right now that changing the arrow on a short track package is going to do little or nothing to these cars. You don't need to be a genius to figure that out. Folks, they go... 
55, 60 miles per hour at Martinsville. What is the arrow going to do? That is the same as the jackass who runs the huge wing on the back of his Honda Civic at the drag strip. That does nothing, okay? It does nothing. So what are we doing? Why are we messing with arrow on a short track package? That's so, you want to tell me, oh, well, it's, this is for Dover or this is for Bristol? Fine, those, they fly there. Phoenix, Martinsville, New Hampshire, that does nothing. It does nothing. So why are we wasting our times? Not only that, when you pull arrow off the cars, what you are doing is you are reducing the grip. Folks, let me explain how grip works on a tire. Once again, you don't have to be an engineer to know this. The more downforce you have, the more the tire will grip up. This is why teams focus so much on downforce. It's why we saw the evolution of NASCAR like we did back in the day in the early 2000s, right? If you guys all remember when it first started happening, that was the big joke around NASCAR, right? But the whole, you know, three fives and a seven, three fives and a two, which is a basically they were just, it was a coil bind spring setup where they ran basically three springs on, on the, the right front, left front, left rear. And usually it would be three 500 pound springs and then a 700 on the right rear. There was also one that they called the, the three fives and a two, which was three 500s and a 200 pound spring. Okay. And all that did was it dropped a coil bound the car to where it basically, they could get it as low as possible dynamically to the tracks. So they could maximize downforce. Once that started, everything changed. Everything changed. And when you increase the downforce, that increases the grip of the tire. When you increase the grip of the tire, that increases the heat of the tire. Heat is what we need for the tires to fucking wear. You have a tire right now that is almost as hard as granite, and you're taking downforce away from it, which is going to do nothing but increase the wear on it in terms of the, the, the life of the tire. You got people out there running 150 laps at a track like Martinsville on tires and it's they're not slowing down that's insane that's not nascar racing this is what nascar is i'm so tired of it or you need horsepower it's really simple you need horsepower and you need to reduce the contact patch of the tire you don't need to be an engineer to figure this out it is so simple it is so simple and i am so sick and tired of hearing about new manufacturers that you show me the manufacturer that says they're going to come to NASCAR if the horsepower stays this. It's not happening. I don't want to hear about it. We got new manufacturers showing up in Formula One. They're building 1,000 horsepower engines that are primarily, I mean, the new engine, the new engine deal in 2026, those cars are going to be more electric than freaking gas. They're not even running gas anymore. They're running biofuel. The amount of money that it takes to develop an F1 engine is insane. Insane. One engine costs more than $10, or $10 million when you look at it on an R&D and a build perspective. Yet NASCAR is telling us that manufacturers want to come in because of our horsepower. That is so stupid. We have created the world's most expensive 670 horsepower engine on the face of the earth. Keith, do you not think it's absurd that me and you right now could go down to a car dealership and I could buy a car with more power than a NASCAR? That is moronic, right? I'm not the only one who feels this way. I can't be. No, absolutely not. Like I, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts that the Xfinity cars have more fucking horsepower than a Cup car. It's your highest it's level of American motorsports does not even have as much horsepower as an Xfinity car. Yes, it's absurd. And we wonder. 
we wonder why Xfinity racing is so so much more fun to watch than cup racing. Yes. I'm sorry. It is. It, it, <laughs> it is. It's, it's a sad. better it's a better product right now. And the only a thing very, that separates yeah. the only thing that separates the two is the the best drivers just happen to be in cup. But the the racing is far better in Xfinity. The Xfinity package is way better. And the fact that you've got these cars and they've got it just it, it, the horsepower is low. And don't talk to me about costs. I'm so sick of hearing about costs. The cost is basically the same. Go ask the car owners. They'll tell you, dude, our engines cost just as much as they did when we were running 900 horsepower. All right. Now, when Doug Gates comes out and says, dude, all we got to do is pull this tape and spacer off. And it's basically the same. We'd have 750 horsepower. NASCAR will say, well, that won't do anything. Hell, Tyler Reddick was on the door bumper clear podcast okay and he said look i was in the sim we had this basically they were doing a, a sim test where he was like we could up the horsepower and you know he's like we cranked it up to like you know 750 770 something like that and he was like and the difference was i mean hardly noticeable now that's a sim right we all know that sim is not a one-to-one -one comparison but it does give us an idea here's the thing it doesn't matter this is the thing that nascar doesn't seem to get through their in heads and this is what pisses me off they're not even trying they're talking to the drivers and the fans like we're a bunch of just moronic idiots too dumb to know our head from our ass and we need a helmet to walk around our house that's how they talk to us no it, we can't do it it's too expensive you just sit back you don't know what you're talking about yes the owners have said this the, the engine builders have said this but no it, it, we need to be at this because of new manufacturers and costs would be too high give me a break man that is a joke the reason why costs are as high as they are right now is when you take a a product like NASCAR and you put it in a box that is so tight that you are not looking for 10 horsepower. You're looking for a half a horsepower. You're looking for one horsepower. When your margins are that narrow, it costs a ton of money to develop that. A ton of money to develop that last little bit. It's not massive gains you're searching for. You're searching for thousands of a second on the track, which is why it costs so much money because everyone is so close. The days of figuring something out and being like, dude, man, this gained us a half a, a half a second on the track. Those days are gone. It's not happening no more. And that's fine. That's fine. You want to run the, you know, the the NASCAR's, you know, basically box of Legos that is turned into the next gen cup car. Whatever. Great. But don't sit there and tell me that it's about costs when, when costs are basically the same, if not more than they were. And we have not seen this short track package get any better by any stretch of the means. And when you go and you do these tests and the drivers are like, yeah, dude, I really didn't feel a difference. I mean, and I, 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 if, I if you hadn't told me what was on the car, I, I don't think I would have noticed at all. That is hor horrific. And when almost every single driver to a man and motor builders even car owners are saying, dude, we need more horsepower. And NASCAR just sits there and treats them like they're nothing but a bunch of immature little children sitting at the kiddie table. Like, no, 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 you don't know best. We do. We got this. That's when you see people like me get pissed off because it's not the fact of whether or not we have more horsepower. It's the fact that they aren't even trying. They're not trying. And because they're not trying, they are killing what made NASCAR great. What made NASCAR great is you had ordinary men driving extraordinary machines doing incredible feats. 
and that is going away. And it's sad to see because they had a chance with this car. They had their opportunity to start revitalizing this sport. And it seems that they're going in the wrong direction. And as a fan that was gone and has come back, it pisses me off. And it's sad to see. All right, Keith, moving on from the NASCAR stuff. I, I had to get that off my chest because I'm, I'm just, it, it's fur- it, it infuriates me like to no end. Like I said, they're just, they're, it feels like they're treating everybody else, like I said, like children at the kiddie table, and it drives me nuts. I just can't stand it. So, no, I mean they really are, and they come up with more excuses on how to not make it better than yeah. they are to make it better, and yep. it, it it's frustrating. Yeah, it is, and I'm telling you this right now. I, and I I came back around to NASCAR over these last couple of weeks. I'm like, you know, I don't even know if I want to talk about this crap anymore. Rewind in the Middle is getting close to becoming a dirt-only podcast. I'm not joking, man, because it, this shit's pissing me off, and I'm, I'm getting mad. Because the dirt world is evolving, and it's doing it in an incredible way, and I love it. I absolutely love it. For NASCAR, like, they had their chance, and they missed the boat. And now they're, like, ooh, yeah. trying to play catch-up. And it sucks. Well, uh, what frustrates me is they take 20 steps forward and, and probably 65 steps backwards. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So... But all right, moving on. We got hit or miss. So we've only got a couple of topics today on hit or miss, but it's because the topics are going to be very, very long topics um, because we've had a bunch of news coming out in the dirt world. Uh, For those of you guys who don't follow along, we had PRI. Um, We didn't get the list of drivers that I thought we were going to get at PRI. Johnny Schatz was the only one who announced it, what he was doing, really. But we did get a lot of other news um, in regards to High Limit and what their plans are moving forward. Um, We're going to talk about the charter system here in a minute. But before we do that, Keith, first up on hit or miss, I got to ask you. High Limit has pulled ahead of the world of outlaws in terms of driver talent. Hit or miss the mark. Man, that's tough. You want me to list you the drivers? Um, I kind of got a good idea of who's running where. I'm going to go high limit. And Ooh. and I say that. I think you're right. I say that because you got Rico Abreu. You got Brad Sweet, who is a multi-time World of Outlaw champion. And I, the high limit stuff's just more appealing to me. And I don't know if it's because the Kyle Larson, Brad Sweet name being involved or if it's just the way that they're evolving the dirt world. But the roster so far, I got I got to give it to high limit, man. They got a ton of talent over there and it's only going to get bigger and it's only going to get better. Yes. So for those of you guys who don't know, okay, these are the current lineups as of right now at the time of recording this on December 15th, okay? The World of Outlaws currently has Logan Schuhart, David Grabble, Brock Searfoss, Bill Rose, I don't know why we're still counting him, uh, Landon <laughs> Crawley, Donnie Schatz, Sheldon Hodenshield, Giovanni Selzy, and Noah Gass. And Carson Macedo has not yet announced, but it seems like from from the stuff that I've heard and like kind of like the rumor mill that they're leaning outlaws, but that could change. Okay, we've seen some other people make decisions that I didn't think they would be making. 
on the high limit side, you've got Brad Sweet, Rico Abreu, Casey Kane, Zeb Wise, Spencer Baston, Corey Eliason, Corey Day, Brennan Crouch, Justin Peck, Parker Price Miller, Chris Windham, and Brad Sweet kind of outed Sunshine, Tyler Courtney, in an interview. Uh, Sunshine has not come out and confirmed yet, but it seems that he's leaning high limit. I had said a couple weeks ago during one of my live streams that I thought the top end talent of high limit was better than the outlaws, but the outlaws had more depth. Meaning, you know, once you get past the top two or three, drivers six through 10 were better on the outlaw side than the high limit side. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Okay, first of all, Bill Rose, and this is the thing that kind of drives me nuts because, folks, right, I can tell you right now, if I were to come into some money, I could be an outlaw, right? It, you just got to buy a membership. That's all you got to do to be an outlaw. Now, yes, you got to be able to, to to hang the whole year and actually, you know, run with these guys. But Bill Rose, when was the last time that guy, like, ran the whole season? Why we count that's, him as an outlaw, I think, is kind of a joke. That's just like a weird flex. Yeah, I don't get it. It's like, oh, we're running with the outlaws this year. Are you? Like, the, how many races did they even run last year? Right. So I don't get it. Yeah. You know, like Noah gas, right. That's great that, that he's going to run with the outlaws, but Noah gas, like when we look at him, do we really truly consider him an outlaw? Right. Like when I think of the outlaws, I don't think of Noah gas. I'm like, Oh yeah, he's on tour, but I don't think of him as an outlaw. Right. To me, the outlaws are those guys that are consistently running up front in the features. Like when they come to town, the local drivers say, man, I got to beat, I want to beat those guys, right? Local drivers aren't going, dude, I got to beat Noah Gas. No, they're going, dude, I want to beat Hod and Shield, Gravel, Macedo, sweet, right? Like that's what they're thinking. So, you know, to me, it's like, well, take those two out, right? Take Zerfoss out too. I get it. He, you know, technically he's an outlaw, but take him out. And you've got Shoehart, Gravel, Shots, Hod and Shield, and Celsi, right? And that's a legit lineup. And if they get Carson Macedo, right, that's a very good list of drivers contending for an outlaw championship. Okay, it is. It's not as many as we've had in the past because obviously Sweet's not going to be there. And neither there's Casey Kane. But Casey Kane wasn't comp competing for wins either. Now, on the high limit side, though, with the additions that they've made, um, it's it's gotten a lot better. Once again, you can go through the list and you can kind of pick out some names. And you're like, okay, you're going to run with them, but what are you really going to do, right? What are, you, what are those guys really going to do? I got to be honest with you. When I look at the Outlaws, to me, it looks like if, if Carson Machido runs the Outlaw Tour, you've got Gravel, Machido competing for the championship. It's going to be really a two-horse race. Hyden Shield and Selzy could definitely throw their hat in the ring. But Hodenshield really fell off last year. I think the tire had a lot to do with that. It'll be interesting to see how they run this year. Selzy had a phenomenal rookie campaign. And I do think he's going to be someone to contend with. But I think he might be a year out, another year out. I think, you know, look for him 2025, 2026 to really start competing consistently for wins. That's my view of it. You look at the high limit side, you got Brad Sweet, Rico Abreu. If Sunshine runs, right? You're talking about a two-time All-Star champion. Zeb Wise won the All-Star championship last year. I mean, is he going to really run with Brad Sweet and Rico Abreu on a nightly basis? No, I don't think he's going to keep up with those guys. And you've got the hottest up-and-coming sprint car driver in the world, probably dirt driver in the world, in Corey Day. Corey Day is 
the next coming of Kyle Larson, folks. That is not a joke. The only difference will be is Corey Day is probably not going to go run NASCAR. He wasn't going to run full-time this year. His, his, his family had said that they wanted him to finish high school. Well, now they've got to figure it out. Hey, man, we can get high school out the way and get you on tour. When they announced initially on, the all, on uh, High Limit, he was only going to be running the Tuesday night shows. And then Clausen Marshall's like, actually, nah, we're going to run the whole season. So Corey Day, to have him on your tour when you've got Kyle Larson, who's going to be running a lot of the shows, when you've got Rico Brady, when you've got Brad Sweet, you've got, in my opinion, in terms of star power, you've got the some of the biggest names, right? I mean, really, if you had... Gravel and Hodgenshield on the high limit side, I don't know what do the outlaws have left, right? In terms of star power, I'm not talking talent, just in terms of name recognition, star power. So I think high limit is ahead right now on the driver talent thing. And what I love the most is the fact that they will get to show that because the high limit drivers can go run against the outlaws and not be punished. And that to me is awesome. It's, in my opinion, one of the reasons all of this started, because as an outlaw, you can't go run other series. And I think that's, it's been my issue with this the entire time. Because I think if you had given drivers the freedom to run other series, I don't know if we would have had the split. And to me, if you're an outlaw and you're out there winning the high limit events, I think that just shows well for the outlaws right? That just makes them look better. Hey, we came and won your race. We came and took your money. And all you had to do was say, hey, look, man, you want to go run another tour? Fine. But you got to be at all these races. You can't just decide you're not showing up this week or whatever, right? Go run whatever you want to anywhere else you want. But you better, if you sign up with us, you better be here when we're on the track. And that's what High Limit did. Hey, you can go run whoever, wherever you want to. Just make sure you're with us when we're running. And I think that is the way to do it. And I think that's why we're seeing the number of drivers go with high limit. And when you look at the money and the reduced number of races, now obviously there's a reason for that because those high limit drivers, Brad Sweet, Kyle Larson, they're not dumb. Okay, they're not going to miss out on the Kings Royal. They're not going to miss out on the Knoxville Nationals. Right, They're going to be at those big events, which is smart. That's smart. Hey, we're going to start our... I mean, think about that, Keith. Hey, me and you, we're going to start our own racing series and we're going to put up all this kind of money. But there's this other series called World of Outlaws. They got a bunch of these big ass crown jewel events that put up a lot of money. We'll be off that weekend so we can go run them, right? <laughs> like we don't have to do anything and we can still go make that money over there. I, it's genius. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of drivers on the high limit side. And I do think we'll see some fall off towards the end because there's talks of like 14 or 16 teams total on the high limit side. And I think financially it starts to fall apart on these tours kind of after from all the research and stuff that I've seen and, and read about 12 to 13 um, drivers. It gets kind of hard when you get that far down on the financial side, but it, it's so far high limits off to a great start. And I'm, I can't wait to see what happens this year. Me and you both. I'm a. I'm excited to see a series compete against World of Outlaws for the first time in I don't know how many years. And 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 what sucks is 
in the past, you'd have a series pop up, compete with the outlaws and just disappear. And I don't think this is going to be the case. Like I, I keep no. hearing people say, well, outlaws are eventually going to take over high limit. Are they? Are they I don't, though? I don't, I don't think they will. I, I, I don't I think, see that happening. I don't think Kyle Larson or Brad Sweet will allow that to happen. I really don't. No. I think I think they realize that sprint car racers in general need more than one place to go run for a bunch of money. And why not do it with their own series? Yes. And th- this is not something you do for the short term. Okay? No, it, this is these, a long term. Yeah, these guys... Larson and Sweet are not the equivalent of, you know, schmuck college kids trying to get an app going in Silicon Valley so they can sell it to a bunch of venture capitalists. That's not what they're doing here, okay? This is something for the long term. You know, Larson talked about this in that Dirt documentary series on Flow, right? He wants to change the way it's done, and that's amazing, Uh, and it is, and they are changing it, and we're going to talk about the charter system here in just a minute, okay? And they are changing it, and it's incredible. And this is not something they're doing short term. This is a long term plan. And I like it. I, I do. I like it. So only time will tell. But I think they are definitely on the right track. And I think it could help dirt sprint car racing as a whole, not just the national tours, but as a whole. I really do. And I think I can confidently say that you could not pick two of the better sprint car racers in general people to take a feat like this on. You oh, yeah. You can't pick a better two. Uh, I think the series is going to be in really good hands. I mean, hell, they keep they keep stealing the World Racing Group employees. And, I mean, that, that just speaks highly of how people really feel about High Limit and the direction High Limit's going to go. Yes. Yep. If you look at the best, most successful, you know, businessmen, corporations, leaders, whatever, whatever, you look at the best examples of that, all of them have an incredible eye for spotting talent and then putting that talent to use for their system, their gains, their operation, whatever it is. And Brad Sweet and Kyle Larson know this business from a multitude of angles, right? They're not just drivers. They've been car owners. They're now series owner, right? They know it from a multitude of angles, and they also have people in place operating with them that know their side and know it well, right? Flow Racing might be a minority owner in High Limit, but guess what Flow knows? Streaming. I mean, that's kind of a big deal, right? That's kind of the future. I mean, people think that streaming is already peaked. Dude, There's we've got so much more coming when it comes to streaming and, and these services and stuff like that. It's insane. We've, yeah, we're just scratching we're, the surface. Yeah, we're just scratching the surface. And when you have something like that as a partner with a vested interest in the success of your business venture, they're going to make sure that they're putting the right foot forward and getting the right people to help them succeed in that, right? And they didn't just go out and they didn't just get schmucks, right? Like they went out and they got, you know, like you said, pulling people from World Racing Group, bringing them over, saying, hey, look, man, I want you to do this. You were phenomenal at this job. We want you to do this over here. And that is that is what successful people do. So, exactly. yeah, I'm with you. And, and I got to get something off my chest real quick before we move on to the next one. To, to, to the bozos that I keep hearing, well, Kyle Larson ain't going to be as good at NASCAR because he's going to lose a bunch of his focus and da-da-da-da-da. 
I'm sorry, but that didn't happen with Tony Stewart. And Tony people Stewart was running a series. He was running racetracks. I'm sorry, people. Kyle Larson's going to have the right people put in play in place to to run that when he's not there. There's yes. a reason why Brad Sweet is an owner. Yes. There's I mean, a reason why Kyle... Folks, Kyle Larson is not out there running the day-to-day operations. It's not oh, like no. he's up in the <laughs> booth watching and making calls about on-track incidents, folks. You think he has Tony people Stewart in place. No! He has people in, in place for that. Years? Yeah. No. When the King's Royal is going on, Tony Stewart's not out there making calls. He's walking around letting other people do that for him. Yes, if something happens and he might need to be a final say, he'll do it. But he's not out there making calls. Like, folks, come on. If you think Larson is is sitting there at his desk pounding out the day-to-day financials for high limit, dude, come on. He's not. No. That's stupid. They, They will call Kyle if something big happens or if they need an opinion from him. And, yep. you, and with you going to the foreground, you've probably seen it. You may not have if you weren't paying attention. It'd be easy to overlook. Big races like that at Eldora, Tony Stewart's there. He's not in the middle of everything, making sure everything's running smoothly. He's standing up on his perch outside of turn four in the middle of the racetrack, looking at the racetrack, making yep. sure that the track prep is good. Kyle Larson's going to be doing the same thing, just away from a desk away from I'm going to say headquarters. Yep. He's got this is why my cast was hired. This exactly. right here is why my cast was hired to help take care of the day-to-day competition things. Kyle Larson ain't going to lose no focus. So when he goes out and he wins four races in the Cup Series or more, I'm going to be laughing at you because you're fucking stupid and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, most people don't. They're idiots. So Yeah, well, we've already yeah. established that. All right, moving on. Um, before we get into High Limits Charter System, uh, we got to cover this as NASCAR has hit a home run with its new TV deal, which will pay around $1.1 billion per year over seven years, which is up from its current $820 million a year deal now. Hit or miss the mark? Um, as far as the money goes, I think it hits the mark. Now, I do have a problem with it. I haven't looked in to see how if teams are getting any of the any pieces of the money pie from the TV deal. As but far as I've heard, they haven't they haven't finalized that deal yet. What I don't fucking like, and I don't think I'll be the only one with this rant, is how many apps and how many TV channels are are American, not even American people, just NASCAR fans in general, gonna have to have to either a watch the race if you like watching practicing or qualifying this this is my whole issue with it because i know cw's taking over what xfinity um some of the cup races are going to be on it what what if people don't have them tv packages well not only that where do you even find them exactly i don't even know how to sign up for the cw i I don't know i don't know how to sign up i didn't i didn't know the cw was a sports channel honestly I thought I, it was just a regular TV channel. I honestly didn't know that the CW was still operating. I didn't know it yeah. existed anymore. I remember the CW when I was in high school. It played like stupid know, TV shows, like TV <laughs> shows. Yeah, like it had like nightly TV shows or something like that. Like that's what I remember from the CW. Reruns of Roxanne or Roseanne or whatever. The yeah, hell it was. yeah, Supernatural, like, right? Like stuff like that. Like that's what was on the CW. I, I like, don't know. I didn't even know it was still going. I, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm all for 
them getting the max amount of money as they possibly can for TV deals. I'm cool with it. Yes. But why the fuck do we got to go away from one part of the season's on Fox, the other half is on TNT or NBC or ESPN? Why do we got to jump to 14 different apps? Why do we got to go to different, like Peacock during the NBC? Most people don't have Peacock. Like, I get it. Yeah, you can pay $5 and subscribe to it. But how many people truly know that? You think that my grandpa, an old NASCAR fan, has the means or the technology to do all this? No, absolutely not. He's going to. He's going to tell you, and I'm going to be completely honest, he's going to, well, that's fucking stupid. That That's exactly what he would say about this. But, therefore, I'm all for people getting money. I'm partially hit on it, but I'm partially miss on it. Yes. So, to give you guys an idea of what this looks like, um, because it's not... So, you've got the CW, and that's the Xfinity side of things, okay? They're just kind of move that off to the side let's look at just the cup series okay because that's what this big deal is right the xfinity stuff is already kind of in place and that's what adds to this number if you add the money from the cw this is where you could get up to 7.7 billion over the course of the next seven years so if you look at it what we've got is we've got in 2025 okay this is how it's going to work Fox Sports will carry the opening 14 races of the NASCAR Cup season each year, including the Daytona 500, okay? Now, one thing you got to understand about Fox Sports, this is not the main race is going to be on Fox, okay? You've got Fox and then you've got FS1, all right? There's only a couple of races that are going to be on the main Fox channel. The rest of them is going to be on FX1. After that 14-race stint... Amazon Prime is going to come in and they will exclusively stream five events. You've got 14 and then the next five is going to be Amazon Prime, exclusively on Amazon Prime. Now, pretty much everybody has got Amazon Prime. I mean, like the vast majority of people have got Amazon Prime. I've got Amazon Prime, right? Like my parents do... I, I don't know if I, there's very few people I know that don't have Amazon Prime, but there are still out they are still out there, okay? After Amazon Prime, then you're gonna be moving over to TNT Sports. TNT Sports will take over as the broadcasting partner for five more events. Those five races will simulcast on TNT and the BR Sports tier. Uh, Mac streaming service, which I don't even know what the hell that is, but moving on. Then NBC Sports will come in and they will carry the final 14 races of the season. Okay. So that is what we've got. All right. Now the NASCAR Xfinity series will be exclusively aired on the CW. And then Fox Sports will retain the broadcast rights for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series for 2025 and beyond. Okay, so those two have kind of got their own thing. And then we've got the Cup Series here that's got this kind of, you know, jumbled up mess of stuff. I'm with you on the money thing. Okay, I'm with you on the money thing. Um, I don't mind seeing Amazon Prime coming in and streaming 
five races. I, I don't mind that. I mean, I don't mind I, that. I, you know, the, the TNT sports, I don't mind that. I, I don't like the fact though. I do have an issue with the fact that it's, it's going, it's bouncing from one service to another. That just kind of drives me nuts. Um, just because the more you open it up to more broadcast partners, the more you're opening up to different broadcast teams, different announcers, right? We've seen not everybody is good in the booth, right? Not everybody's good on track. And NASCAR right now is having a bit of an identity crisis, and I think this is adding to it. I understand the money. I'm all for the money. I get that, and it's huge, okay? But NASCAR is not a stick in ball sport, and this seems like NASCAR is trying to follow the NFL. They're trying to do what NBA does or something like that. It, it just doesn't feel... I don't know. It just doesn't feel like NASCAR to me. Like I, I like it, but then in the same sense, I don't. I'm gonna be open-minded about it, but I've also got reservations about it, right? Like I'm really conflicted on this because I miss the days of knowing where the freaking race was, knowing where practice. I mean, we don't hardly don't have practice anymore, but knowing where qualifying was, we hardly, you know, not, that stuff hardly gets seen anymore, and it's sad, but. I'm with you, man. I, I like it for the money. I hope this helps the sport in a lot of ways. But in the same sense, NASCAR better get their shit together in terms of getting at least race clips or highlights or something to those people who don't have those services and finding a way to funnel people to them. Because there are people out there, believe it or not, who don't have Amazon Prime, who don't have the CW, right? And I said this before during the season that I found it absolutely absurd and ridiculous that I could put together a better highlight clip at my home office than NASCAR's doing right now. It's it's ridiculous. Like, get on your shit, NASCAR. That's stupid. I should not be watching a 720p video, you know, at 24 FPS on YouTube, right? Like you watch an F1 race that it's like, it's 2K, it's 50 FPS, the, the, the smoothness, the clarity, it's insane. It's, it's beautiful. You watch NASCAR and you're like, dude, is this, is this from five years ago? What am I watching here? Right? Like get on it. And if you're going to be moving these things, these races to all these different properties, you better have a way to increase your discoverability to not only those who are not NASCAR fans, but to those who are NASCAR fans and might not be able to find the freaking race because that is going to be a thing. There is a difference between a diehard fan and a veteran fan. Those are two different things. Just because you're old and like NASCAR does not mean you are a diehard fan that will find it wherever it is. That means you're a veteran fan. And if you're like some of the older people that I know, you can't operate that streaming shit. It drives you nuts. So that's that's my concern with it. So yeah, I'm with you, Keith, on the money. I think it's great. I'm hoping that it's it's not as jumbled up as it seems. I'm hoping it'll be a smooth transition and they'll be able to to handle and manage that. Um, from my understanding, the broadcast stuff is, is going to be NASCAR. It's just going to be carried here and stuff like that. So it sounds like there might be some more consistency. But like I said, until I see it, I, I can't judge it. So. 
yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. So anyways, all right, moving on. We're done talking about NASCAR. Moving on. Speaking of increased money, revenue split, all that other good stuff, let's dive into the high limit charter system. So um, first things first, because Keith, you said you don't, you don't, I just, you haven't been, I haven't read into it. I've, I've been working a bunch of overtime, so I haven't had the chance to sit down to see exactly what all it entails. But yes. from what I've heard, from what I've heard, it seems like it'll be beneficial. Um, I think so too. And, but if you want to explain, so that way everybody kind of knows. Yeah, no, but, definitely. And then I can give a better opinion on it. Yeah. So let me, for those of you who don't fully understand it. Okay. Um, essentially what's going on is, is, is high limit is going to be invoking a charter system. Okay. The charter system, for those of you who are NASCAR fans, is similar to NASCAR, but it's not the same. Hold on, let me get my glasses on for this. Um, no, I don't need reading glasses. These are blue blocker glasses, but they, when this screen is this bright, it hurts my eyes. So, anyways, um, the charter system is going to be similar to NASCAR, but it's not the same in the sense that NASCAR is not, or excuse me, um, high limit is not um, going to be it doesn't guarantee you a spot in the feature, okay? So if you have a high-limit charter, you're not guaranteed um, your place, okay? It's, you're not guaranteed your spot in the A-main. Now, I imagine high-limit will have some form of provisional and stuff like that. But in terms of the, uh, you know, like NASCAR, where it's like, look, you got a charter, you're in the race. That's not the case with high-limit, all right? So the goal is... It's more like a franchise des designation, okay? So think of kind of like the NFL, all right? The goal is to have 10 charters or franchises given out to teams before the start of the 2026 season when the system is projected to kick. Basically, that's when it's going to be full steam ahead, okay? And this is where some fans got confused, okay? This is where some of the confusion is. Teams with the charter or franchise will share 50% of the revenue developed by streaming. This will be in place of tow money and point money, but the amount or percentage a team will get is based and weighted on where they finish in the point standing. So this is the thing that a lot of people have been getting screwed up and you need to understand the most. This, as of right now, this is what's important about this. This is not new money, okay? This is not different money. It's the same money that they would be getting in terms of a points fund and tow money as they would normally, right? It without the without the charter, okay? This is the same money. But they're going to be getting it in these monthly payments. What this does, okay? There's a couple of things that this does. Number one is it gives the team a more, think of, it's going to be like monthly disbursements, right? Where let's just say, for example, Brad Sweet wins a championship, okay? And this revenue split comes out to, you know, just to make it easy, a half a million dollars. $500,000 is based on his finish and, and his charter and stuff like that. That's what he is projected to get next season, okay? That will... 
well, $500,000 will be paid to them over the course of monthly disbursements, right? So let's just say it's, like I said, to keep it easy, it's 10 months. So they get $50,000 a month for 10 months, right? That's how it's going to work. People are asking, well, then why do this? If it's the same money, why would you do this? couple of reasons. Number one, this gives you something of value, okay? Since the payout is based on the previous season's um, results, you now have the opportunity to sell something of value, right? So you have to think about this in terms of, a, of something that pays almost like a stock, right? That has like a dividend or a revenue share, where if you are, let's say Brad Sweet, comes out wins the championship and is like you know what I'm I'm done I I'm I'm done racing I'm just going to sit back high limits working I'm going to sit back and I'm going to run this and I'm done racing he can now sell that franchise that that charter to somebody and that team who buys it is going to receive those payments okay it's going to receive the money that the team would be getting all right now this is where people be like, whoa, 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 if they, but then Brad Sweet's team's not going to get the money. Well, yes, that's that's the point. They can sell it. So uh, you can now go to them and you can say, hey, look, man, I'm selling you my charter and my charter is going to generate you $500,000 next year. You're going to get $500,000 in payments regardless. So I want $500,000 and then some. You can start looking at it in terms of a multiple. You can say, hey, look, I'm giving you my spot in high limit. Okay. And you can look at that team and you can say, you know, let's just say, for example, right, David Gravel, right, the, their team, the big game team is like, hey, we're done with the outlaws. We're coming to high limit. Sweet's like, I'm retiring. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to sell my charter. So him and Gravel sit down and Sweet goes, hey, look, man, we won last year. We're going to get $500,000 in payments over the course of, let's just say, 2025. So you need to pay us $500,000, but you're a good team. I know you guys are going to be running up front. And because of that, your disbursements, your payments are going to be pretty good. So obviously I don't want to take, I don't want all the money that you would be making because then you're not going to be able to operate, but I do want a multiple of it. So let's go a multiple of 25% over the course of the next two years. So $500,000, then we'll take 25% of that $500,000, right? If we look at it in terms of a multiple over two years, right? You got $500,000 multiplied by 25%, right? You're looking at a quarter of that times that by two. I know that's a lot of math. I'm throwing at you guys. So then you come up with the number and you say, Hey, look, let's just go $750,000. You buy my charter. It's yours. So now that team has made an investment. They've guaranteed themselves a piece of the pie moving forward. And once they pay that charter off, right? Because even though they're going to buy it, they've technically paid for it, but they have to recoup what they paid. They're going to be getting $500,000 back. Now they're in. They're in. So it's nice that it's based off of performance because it gives a team the ability to hold on, some, hold on to something of value that can be sold, right? That's really, really important. It can be used in a multitude of ways in terms of valuation and finances. And if somebody wants to come in, it's not going to be like NASCAR where it's this ridiculous, well, hey, we want a charter. Well, it's $30 million. Well, why the fuck is it $30 million? 
what are you guaranteed? Well, you're guaranteed a starting spot in every race, which guarantees you a piece of the purse. And if you look at that over the course of a season and multiple seasons, blah, 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 you can come up to this ridiculous number. That's not the case with high limit. Hey, man, this is going to guarantee you payments for next year. After next year, you want some of this money. You got to do something in those points, dude. So get on it, right? So it still encourages um, competition, right? You're not just going to sit back and, and collect money. Also, the, the biggest thing about this, okay? They don't, Sweet says that they don't want to dilute the 10 charters, which is smart, okay? Um, and this still keeps it opening open to teams that don't have a charter, which is important. It's important because if you want to go run with high limit, you can still get points fund. You can still get tow money. You're just not getting what those charter teams are getting. So the option for people to go run with the high limit tour is still there. It's still there. Okay. That opportunity is still there. So, um, now if we look at this, like the NFL teams, right? If we look at this in terms of NFL, NFL, they share $125 billion in rights fees and television packages. High limit, obviously, that's not what they're operating on. But if you break that down based on the teams, that's about, it's just under $4 billion a year for each team, okay? Um, not $4 billion a year, excuse me, for each a year. It's $4 billion over the, the course of the, the deal, right, for each team. But... Although high limits not operating with that type of size, the same principle applies. I think dirt racing, especially 410 wing sprint car racing, I think it's going to explode even more than it is right now. I really do. What we talked about earlier with NASCAR, I think NASCAR is dying and Sprint car racing is exploding because sprint car racing is what NASCAR used to be. It's ordinary men in extraordinary machines doing incredible things. The racing is on the edge, exciting. You can do an entire show, right? An entire event in less time than a NASCAR cup race. And it's more exciting. You can watch multiple series in one night compared to a cup race, and it's more exciting. The drivers are much more accessible than NASCAR cup drivers, right? You got Joey Logano talking about how cup fans are spoiled. That is the most ignorant, asinine statement I have heard in a very long time. Joey Logano, you are a jackass. The fans are not spoiled. There is a huge difference between access being able to go into the pits and actually having access to that driver go to a dirt race kyle larson will stand there and sign autographs and take pictures rico abreu will sit there at his car and talk to people i have seen drivers on the world of outlaws tour there is videos out there of random people getting tours of sheldon Hodenshield's complete hauler and talking to him for 45 minutes right Drivers do that a lot, right? You know, I mean, maybe not take kids on tours and stuff, but I mean, in terms of accessibility, talking, conversating, right? When we went to the Four Crown, 
or or uh, the guys I went there with, I, I wasn't at the track at that time, but our, the guys that I was there with, they went and talked to Robert Ballou. They went and talked to Jack Hewitt, right? You're talking about one of the icons of dirt racing, right? A, a man synonymous with the four crown and they got to meet him and get an autograph from him and, and shake his hand. You're not doing that at cup races. You're not. You're not. You can't just go to a booth and meet freaking Richard Petty. It It's not happening. And if it is happening, it's only for those people who are like, you know, somehow tied to STP, right? Or some kind of sponsorship deal. So the idea that this revenue could grow exponentially for these charter teams is there. And it gives these teams even more incentive to not only improve things for themselves, but the sport. Getting Rico Abreu is huge in terms of driver talent. He's a star. Rico Abreu is also huge on social media. He has a huge following. This makes someone like Tanner Holmes, love him or hate him, the kid's got an incredible following on social media and people like him. He's one of the nicest kids you'll ever meet. He, he literally like kills you with kindness. It's almost, if you actually talk to the kid in real life, you'd be like, dude, I'm kind of an ass for not liking this guy. Like he's, he's that nice, dude. So but you have people who have that kind of presence, right? Timez says he wants to do more wing sprint car racing. The dude starts winning, man. Having someone like him on the high limit series, that's a big deal because it doesn't just raise the profile of the on-track product. It raises the profile of that entire series. And that's what streaming partners want. Live sports is the last game in town for ad, for legitimate ad revenue. It is. There, in terms of appointment viewing, there's nothing else out there besides live sports. The days of having to sit down on your couch Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. to watch your favorite show is, it's dead. It's gone. It's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. Even though they still have those shows out there on Fox or ABC or USA or whatever, you can watch the replay of it the next day on your streaming platform. I can go to Netflix or Hulu or whatever and watch it. I don't have to be there for it. And with live sports, even though I can watch the replay of it, most people try to see it live. It's the last game in town. So when you look at it from an advertising standpoint, this is why the NFL makes so much money. Because it is the last thing on earth that people are like, dude, Sunday morning, I am on my couch watching that game. They will sit through those commercials. And I think sprint car racing has an opportunity to, to grow at a clip we haven't seen in a very long time. I think sprint car racing and dirt late model racing. I really do. I think dirt racing is about to see a massive boom. Um, and it should because it's incredible. It, it's it's incredible. And unfortunately, NASCAR is dropping the ball. And I think they're going to pick up the pieces and, and, and run with it. So that's, you know, I, I know that's a very, very long rant. But did I explain that charter system to you there, Keith, in a way? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... It gives the owners the opportunity to really invest and have something of value moving forward. They're going to be awarding five charters at the end of this season. And then after the 2024 season, they will award five more charters to the next five uh, people, five positions in points that don't already have a charter. 
Okay. After 2025, going into 2026, it's going to be increasingly more difficult to get a charter. Um, Sweet had said that essentially High Limit reserves the right to issue, um, I think, two other charters at their discretion. I almost want to call that the Paul Silver rule because if Larson's not running full time and Paul Silva is his car owner, how is Silva going to get a charter? And I don't see them having a series that's going to screw over their own car owner. So I almost think that that's in place for Paul Silva. I could be wrong about that. That's just my theory. I'm not as pure speculation. Okay. But it does give them the opportunity to issue a charter to somebody if they want. And that's where the whole not wanting to dilute the product comes in because that's smart, right? If you've got somebody who's an up and comer, um, you don't want it to be like, well, Hey man, sorry. You know, we've only got these 10 spots and you're, you're a phenomenal driver, right? Let's say Corey day comes, he's not coming this year. He's coming in three years, right? Do you want to keep Corey day out? Right. If he's got a, you know, his, let's say Jason Myers, his, his current car owner on the West coast out here is like, Hey, we're going to go high limit racing. And do you think they're going to go to Jason Myers and be like, yeah, dude, we don't have a charter for you. Sorry, man. You're going to have to go buy one from someone else. Right. Like they want to be able to bring someone like that in, which is smart. And limit capping themselves will make sure that it's not something that, like he said, dilutes the other 10 teams. So I like the idea. I think it's a great idea. It's different. Um, Like I said, as of now, it's the same money being paid in a different way. It's not the death of dirt sprint car racing as we know it. To those people out there who are saying this, you are an idiot. Stop talking. You're a moron, okay? First of all, if you don't like the high limit method, go run with the outlaws. It's really simple. It's really simple. You've got another national tour who's putting up just about the same amount of money, right? Go run with them. You don't have to run with high limit. And high limit said, they still have points fund. They still have tow money for those teams who don't have a charter. So I like it. I think it's incredible. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out over the course of the next couple of years. How about you? I love it. I think it's going to be great for sprint car racing. I mean, it, it gives you somewhat of a return of your investment into the sport, investing into your investment, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Dude, I'm with you. I'm with you with everything you just said. Um, I think dirt racing has been in the up and up since Kyle Larson's suspension in NASCAR. Um, it just took off from there. And I think it's going to end up being bigger, if not one of the biggest motorsports in in the United States, at least. Um, and dude, NASCAR's fumbling the ball big time, and... I think dirt racing is about to have a ton of firepower. Yes. Yes, it is. Because dirt racing dirt racing has ties to its roots that will never be changed. So what do I mean by that? 
let's take a head-to-head -head comparison here of NASCAR in terms of some of the grassroots stuff, right? It used to be in NASCAR, build the car in your own shop, right? You and a couple of guys, you needed a pit crew for, for, for pit stops, right? But you and your homeboys could literally get together and go run a NASCAR race, right? Ricky Rudd tells the story about seeing a bumper sticker that said, if you want to race, Daytona's the place. He put together a car and went and ran the Daytona 500. Those days are gone. You can't do that. And that's fine. But NASCAR has moved so far away from its grassroots that the fans, that hardcore fan who loved that about NASCAR, you don't have it anymore. Like I've said numerous times already in this episode, right? It was ordinary men doing a sh or uh, ordinary men in, in extraordinary machines doing incredible things. You have that in sprint. You have that in sprint car. You have that in dirt racing, right? You still have that in dirt racing. Another thing, NASCARs have become these like engineered marvels, which is fine. That's it's okay. But the days of someone like me, right, being able to just go to the track and tune a car, you don't have that NASCAR no more, right? The days of Jake Elder sitting his ass on a spring, bouncing up and down, going, put this in the right front, those days are gone. Right, everything is so engineered. You got these engineers; they're running sim simulation and doing all this stuff, and then they're showing up to the tr track, and the setups on these cars are so temperamental that one round in the shock, right, in the spring perch, can be the difference between a good car and a horrible car. That's not the case on dirt. That's not the case on dirt racing. You'll never engineer a sprint car. You'll never be able to engineer a sprint car at the track because the track is ever changing. It changes way too much. You could go to Eldora, right? In May, and then go back to Eldora in August and have two completely different tracks. They might race similar, right? Oh, it's up on the wall. Well, Eldora usually is, but it'd be completely different. We would go to Silver Dollar Speedway. It's a quarter mile high banked clay oval here in California, right? 45 minutes where I'm at. I could go there one week and I could have a setup on my car that was basically, you know, the track is heavy as hell, right? I mean, I got the left side tied down. I got the right side stiffened up just to get the damn thing in the corner. You know what I mean? My right rear's moved out freaking 18 and a half inches, right? Got a three or four off on the right rear. Got the left rear sucked all the way in. And then the next week at the exact same track, and it hasn't rained or anything, right? Nothing's changed. Now I've got a setup on my car because the track is a freaking ice rink. It's so black and so slick. You're like, dude, what the hell happened? That's never going away in dirt racing. Where in NASCAR, right? You, you that's that's not a thing. You got these guys on on laptops, pump, you know, looking at data and shit. So there's another tie to that grassroots. You've got the drivers, although I call them ordinary men, when they're in the car, they're freaking Superman. These are 900 horsepower. There's nothing natural about a sprint car, right? There's nothing natural about a midget or a dirt late model. They're incredible machines. Right, you hit the throttle. Those things. I mean, you can see the car flex up and wing over. And right, if it's a non-wing car, it's picking the front wheels up off the ground. 
you know, the midget, it wants to flip over at all points on the track, even when it's going straight. It's like, dude, is that thing going to tip? You know what I mean? Like, how are they going to sell that off into the corner? Late models are all hiked up on, you know, left rear's in the sky, the right front's pinned to the ground. There's nothing normal about those. They're, it's incredible. And the runs happen so fast and the racing is so intense that you could see someone like a Kyle Larson, right, go from 16th to 1st at, you know, at the, the Hangtown 100. When are you going to see that in a NASCAR Cup race? And it be that exciting, right? Never. Oh, caution, we got a stage break. You know what I mean? So to me, dirt racing is really on the rise. And what this charter system does is it gives these teams the opportunity to start making money in a different way. You know, if this really picks up and you've got Flow Racing right there with you, what happens if Flow says, you know, hey, Fox Sports, just as an example, how about you simulcast our races? Right? Don't got to do all of them. Maybe just a dozen of the biggest ones. What would that be worth to you? Even if it's only, they're like 10 million bucks. That's $10 million now coming into the sport that, guess what? Those charter teams are going to have an opportunity to grab a share of it. Yep. And, and so and, that's huge. And I'm sorry, those guys, Brad Sweet and Kyle Larson, ain't going to be stingy with it. No, they're 50%. The, the the reason they're doing all this is because they're helping out the guys that helped them out in the past. I mean, they're giving back in a big way to the grassroots, and I don't see NASCAR ever doing anything like that. I think NASCAR came, has lost touch with the grassroots. I really do. Yep. They, they've, they've lost touch in all forms and fashion of the grassroots, and, and that's not saying the drivers – within nascar hasn't but nascar as a whole like yes i get it you get some drivers giving back to the grassroots but you don't see them doing what kyle larson's doing no i'm sorry you don't like i get it dale jr and kevin harvick cars tour they're not nascar anymore that 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 don't count i don't count that and and when you get these nascar team owners Telling their drivers, well, you can't, you can't go run dirt, even though that's what you've done your entire life. You're not allowed to. I yeah. think that was asinine. Yeah. Racing's dangerous. I don't like, care what you're in. It's dangerous. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just so happens that this past year, we've had fatal accidents and more sprint car driver injuries. Yeah. Yep. And look, Alex Bowman, I get it. You know? From him, yeah, from I mean, his standpoint, he's, he's like, yeah, he's like, look, man, I'm cutting back on the sprint car racing. I want to focus on the cup car. And I get it. He was leading the points, was on fire. He got hurt. He was never the same when he came back, right? Never the same. Whether that was his injury, whether something, you know, he had, it was in his head. I don't know, but there's a direct correlation that you can point to. So from his standpoint, I get it. And he said, he's like, dude, I'm, I'm not done sprint car racing. He talks about wanting to run the world of outlaws after he's done with NASCAR, right? That's awesome. Awesome. Right. But you look at like a Christopher Bell, who's like, yeah, I can't do it. I did. Just won't let me, you know what I mean? And it's like, I get it. But I also, at the same point, racing's dangerous. And right now, I think it would actually help NASCAR more to have these guys running on the dirt side, because I think they're losing fans and it's their product is, 
people. It's, I mean, we spent the first 25 minutes of the show today talking about how frustrating it is. Well, so, and, and, and I foresee it getting worse and not to get on another fucking rant. But yeah. NASCAR just built a production building for $53 million with TV booths in it. Do you think they're going to start doing live events from from that building? Like, instead of being at the racetrack, there's going to come a point in time where Xfinity is going to be on one side of the country, Cup Series is going to be on the other side, and they ain't going to have, they ain't, they ain't flying out three people to broadcast an Xfinity race. No, they're going to keep oh. them in Charlotte, North Carolina and have them stay in front of a green screen and fool everybody into thinking, oh, well, they're they're actually there when they're not. Yep. I mean, it just, I don't know, cutting corners pisses me off. And if I want to watch a live event, I want the people to be there actually feeling the energy of what they're announcing. And I'm sorry, you can't feel the energy. If they're in Portland racing at the road course, you think they're going to know what the vibe and the energy is like there? No. Yeah. No, they're not. I'm sorry. I just think it's stupid. I think it's dumb. Um. And it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. So. All right. Moving on to our last hit or miss topic and our final topic of the day. Timez said in an interview at PRI that he is looking forward to and wants to run his wing sprint car more, which demonstrates the decline of the USAC side of things. Keith, hit or miss the mark? I think it hits the mark. I want to see team as in every dirt car there is. So do I. Uh, and that's me as a race fan. I think any race fan, whether you like team as or not, I'm sorry for you if you don't like him. I think he's good for the sport. Does he win all the time? No, sure. Sure he doesn't, but he brings a lot of excitement and a lot of a lot of little kids actually I see approaching team as more than most drivers. Um, team as is very approachable. I would, I would love to see him race a wing car, a non wing car midget, fuck even a late model or even a modified. I, I mean, the man drives the wheels off of anything that he gets in and, yeah. and he, he makes you stand up and pay attention when he is on the racetrack because he's that fucking exciting. He, he makes stupid moves look smart as, as, a, as a ever. Um, it's unfortunate that he's not with RMS anymore. Um, I wish him nothing but the best with his new team. And I think, I think he's going to, I think he's going to be the one to watch this upcoming year in USAC. And I said that last year and I say it, I thought that, I think I say it every year because it's biased because I know who Timez is and he's a good person. Um, this new team that he is, I'm going to say helped start. Yeah. I think they're going to be a team to watch. I think with them having one car and, and one driver, that'll give them more focus on the task at hand instead of having one car here and one car there and focusing on both, making both of them fast. I just, I love the fact that he just runs what he wants to run. Yeah. He, he I'm, don't, he don't, he don't let nobody tell him, Hey, you're going to go run here. No, I'm yeah. going to go run, run what I want to run. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, I think you're going to see more people go the Meserol route in terms of these guys who run the USAC stuff. Um, and you know, unless they are, you know, running for that championship, right? Whether it's the midgets, the silver crown, the sprint car, whatever. I think you're going to see these guys doing a lot more of this 
well, hey, we can run the midgets here, we can run the non-wing sprint car here, and then we can go run a wing car, you know, over here. I think this Maverick series is going to be really successful because of where it's located and where it's running. Yeah. You've got a, you know, basically semi, you got this regional wing sprint car series that's going to be operating primarily in Indiana. I think it's got a couple of races in Ohio maybe, but for the most part, it's in Indiana where the vast majority of these USAC teams are, right? And so these guys can now start wing racing for some more money while they do this, these USAC midgets and stuff like that. And and I'm going to piss off all my non-wing guys that I'm friends with. I'm sorry, but I think there's a ton of non-wing racetracks in Indiana that will put on a better show with a wing car than a non-wing car. Um, yeah, I'd, I I think... I think I non-wing sprint car racing is... Uh, I mean, it it's, breaks it's my heart. It's the best. Yeah, but it's not... It's not but, outside of Indiana, man, it's... <laughs> not very it's popular dying. anymore yeah i mean it's just dying i mean that's just that's that's the fact of the matter non-wing yeah. racing in general is just dying off unfortunately it's because there's no money or i can't say there's no money there's just not as much money in non-wing racing um yeah. it might be more exciting at some tracks but yeah but I people think, don't know it no no they don't unless you know and and i'd say there there is a very vast majority of the non-wing fans that absolutely hate wing racing i don't know why but they don't they don't like it they don't associate with it if there's a a non-wing and a wing race there that'd probably be the only time that they sit down and watch a wing race but i will say indiana is a very underrated wing racing state i wish we had more of it i'm glad we're about to have more of it um, and then that hurts me to say that because I've been a non-wing guy my entire life. I, yeah. as long as I've been around dirt racing, I've been a non-wing sprint car fan. And unfortunately, non-wing sprint cars are dying, but the midgets are, I guess, somewhat taking off, especially with the world racing group. Um, I mean, I think we're going to eventually see more guys go wing racing just because of the money. I mean, hell, uh, Emerson Axum. Yeah. He just announced a couple of days ago or a week or so ago that he's going wing racing full time. He's leaving USAC. So, yep. so I think we're going to see more follow suit. And I, I pat team as on the back for just racing everything in general. He runs a true outlaw schedule. Yep. He does. He does. So, and he yeah. can race a wing car. He can drive the wheels off of a wing car. He can. He's done well in them. So, yeah. Hold on one sec, Keith. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Timez, he runs a true outlaw schedule and um, I'm all for it. And like you said, the more dirt racing we can see him in, the better. Um, I do think, you know, I talked about it. I think it was one of the pods where you, you, were, you didn't make it, where I talked about the um, high limit and world of outlaws, how it could be you know where are they going to get the drivers from and i said that you know usac could be an area that they start plucking drivers from and look you know you've already got um you know sunshine full he's a full-time wing guy right now i mean he was one of the best usac guys out there chris windham another former 
multi-series USAC champion, running wing cars, Buddy Kofoid, right? I mean, you know, it, we've seen we've seen a lot of these guys make that jump because the money is so much better. And we're starting to see it not just be so top heavy with the payouts. You know, we've you got the dirt late model stuff where you've seen them starting to shift these purses around. And I think you'll see that in the sprint car side of things too, where yeah, a hundred thousand to win is great, but if it's a hundred thousand to win or a thousand to make the feature, that sucks, right? We want to see that money spread out through the purse because as a team owner, what's that what's that guarantee that I can count on or at least somewhat count on, right? Parting from disaster. Or it's like, hey, yeah, we could win a hundred grand for winning this race, but if we make the feature, it's five grand, which is, you know, three times as much or four times as much as we normally get, right? So that's a lot better. And on the USAC side of things, what is it? Is it six hundred dollars? Five hundred dollars? It's it's not much, you know. I mean, Meserol's talked about this in videos before. You know, he's got to finish up in the front you know, top five to break a thousand bucks. You know what I mean? Because he gets 50% of the purse. That was his deal with RMS. Now, I don't know what it is now with the team that he's got going, but you know, when he was at RMS. So, you know, that think, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to live off of. I think his, I think his pay is the same. I, I would imagine it's all the, the same. same. Yeah. Um, but you know, with with Timas saying that he's going to run a bunch of everything, it it makes sense because if you look at the new USAC schedule for this upcoming season, it's it's weak, it's very weak, it's very yes. bland. There there's a lot of lulls in between each race. There's a lot of breaks. There's there there's a point in time where they're off for two months. Yeah, almost three months, which is ridiculous. Um, yep. It, it, it's sad to see that the I don't want to say USAC is dying by any means. The USAC midget side is somewhat weaker than it has been in years past. I'd say two years ago. I mean, hell, I'm looking at the schedule now. There, Lawrenceburg's not even on the schedule this year. There's a lot of Indiana tracks that was on the schedule that's not on the schedule. So it only makes sense that he's going to go run a bunch of everything. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the 23K for Kyle Simon again. Uh, I think that he's supposed to be. Yeah, I think I think that is the plan. I I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the Dub Zero a lot more than what we have been have seen last year. I think the first time he ran it was that wing race at Lincoln Park before the high limit race. Uh, mm -hmm. I, yep. I I've said it and I've beat this drum. Team as a, as a personality is good for dirt racing. It's good to have guys with personalities for one, and I think there's a ton of them. There's a whole boatload of them, and I just I think we should cherish them while we got the chance because I think eventually a bunch of them will end up going wing racing. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. So, yeah, like you said, man, if you look at the the USAC midget schedule, it's got some, some very big breaks in it. Um, you know, you've got a couple races in April, you know, three in May. Um, and in May they're running the 17th, 18th and 19th. And then they're off until June 4th and you've got, which is Indiana midget week. And you've got fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. And then they're off for a month. They're off for a month. 
Then you've got July. And you got July 10th, July 12th, or July 9th, 10th, 12th, and 13th. And then they're off until September. That's six weeks that they're off. And then you've got September 1st and 2nd. Then they're off for a couple weeks, the 19th, 20th, 21st. Then they're off again. So the USAC midget schedule is very spread out. Now, here's the thing, though. Okay, and I want to make this very clear. If you're going to put up the money that USAC has been putting up on the midget side of things, then I don't mind this schedule. This is fine, right? It's when you're putting up what they've been putting up for a points fund and you've got 60 races. That's ridiculous because now you're having teams try, you know, the cost is far outweighs the reward where this is much more balanced. And this does give people the opportunity to run multiple series, which is what a lot of these guys do. They run the midgets, they run the, um, the, the USAC sprint car series. You've also got the extreme outlaw series, um, with the midgets, which, you know, that is obviously, um, running again this, uh, this season. I haven't seen, did they have that schedule out yet? I haven't even seen it yet. Um, they do. I just haven't seen it. I know it's it's bigger than the USAC schedule. <laughs> um, yeah, it's way... Wow, it might be... 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 18, 20, 22, uh, Yeah, it's almost the same number of races. Um... Yeah, damn, it's it's a lot. Wow, that's like double compared to what they ran last year. Didn't they only run like 14 races last year or something like that? Uh, Yeah, give or take. Yeah, it's way and, more. And the only thing that I can think of why the USAC schedule's got that many breaks in between it, unless if they plan on working with Power Eye, I don't see them working with the World Racing Group. I, really I don't, don't see them working with the World Racing Group either, but I guess there is a chance that they could be doing something with Power Eye. Um, you know, the... Hey, because USAC used to be about... I, I can't remember if it's changed at all. I'd have to reach out to Robert Blue and ask him if it's changed. They they used to be a lot like World Racing Group, where you couldn't really go run with anybody else. If there was a USAC race that weekend, you couldn't go run somewhere else on a Friday night. Unless yeah. if you had their permission. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's changed. I, I might I might read a, reach out to either Robert Blue or Timez and ask them if it's changed at all. Yeah. Because I'm yeah. curious now. I am too. Because if you look at the Extreme Outlaw schedule and then you compare it to the, the USAC schedule, a lot of those holes that are in the USAC schedule are filled by the Extreme schedule. You know, March, you've got two Extreme Outlaw shows. In April, those two shows, the 5th and 6th, uh, well, you got 5th, 6th, 11th, 12th, and 13th in April. I mean, USAC doesn't even get started till the 26th. In May, you got the 10th and 11th. USAC runs 17th, 18th, and 19th. And then the Extreme picks up 21, 22, 24, 25. 30, 31 in May. So they have a lot of rows, a lot of shows in May. June, they run June 1st and then USAC picks up and they've got Indiana Midget Week, which obviously 
extreme is not dumb to run anything during midget week. That would be stupid. But you get to July, extreme picks up after USAC in July. Uh, September, USAC runs and extreme is off. August, USAC is off. Extreme runs. Extreme runs the 2nd, the 3rd, the 7th, the 8th, the 9th, and the 10th. And they're going to be running the Extreme Midgets um, at the Ironman 55, which is awesome. You know, that like they do great. those shows. Yeah. And then the Extreme season, you got a couple of nights in September, 13th, 14th, and 15th. Uh, USAC, nothing. They've got, they run the first, the second, and then the 19th, 20th, and the 21st, 20th and 21st is obviously four crown. I mean, I just hate to be this person that's going to bring it up, but I'm going to be that person and bring it up. I wonder if USAC's just trying to get away from midget racing in general, eventually. I mean, what sucks is, is USAC midgets used to be the thing. Uh, I remember, I remember... I'm just when curious we, if that's what they're trying to do. I just don't know. Unless if it's because there's so many kids that race midgets now that they're trying to give them time to be in school. I don't I don't know. I don't know either. But that but then that doesn't make sense because a lot of the time that they're off, they're off all of August. Kids are off for the first few weeks in August, right? Like I I don't I don't know, man. I, I've talked about this before. When you look at a national USAC race for the midgets right now, the car counts and what you see, that's what we used to get for a USAC Western State show. I mean, we used to get damn near 80% of the car count at a BCRA show out here on the West Coast. Um, I remember I was talking to... Um, this guy that I know, his name's Glenn Cry. His son, Quentin Cry, I used to race Outlaw Carts with them. And Quentin actually ran. He ended up running midgets and sprint cars. And I was talking to Glenn, and he was like, yeah, we're pretty much done racing. He's like, it just got too much. And he goes, if I was going to build another car, he goes, I would build a sprint car and not a midget. I was like, really? He goes, yeah. He's like, those midgets cost so much money. He goes, and then what you get in terms of purse is a fraction of a sprint car race. And it's a fact. It's a fact. It's, it's, it's the truth. And it's sad to see because I think midget racing might be one of the most exciting forms of racing on the planet. It is incredible. I love it. I actually, I like, I think, I think midget racing is more exciting than non-win sprint car racing. I really do. The, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I think they're incredible, man. And we don't, you know, other than a few big events, right? Like Chili Bowl's coming up. Well, Chili Bowl is huge and it's great, but that's not a USAC event. That's a special event. That's a one-off event in the winter time, right? That every you know, that 350 race car drivers show up for, right? Like that, that's not a gauge of midget racing. That's a gauge of the chili bowl, right? So 
it's, you know, you've got these, these couple of events where you got people who show up, you know, you look at the car counts that we had out here on the West coast swing, right? Hangtown 100 and Turkey night, stuff like that. Those were great. There's also nothing else going on, right? You had a lot of guys showing up and running those midgets who are not really midget drivers. They're, they're sprint car drivers who happen to be running a midget for that weekend, right? You had Carson Macedo and Corey Day and, you know, all these guys who, who were coming out here to the West coast and running, they're not midget guys. They're they're dirt guys who were just happening to run midgets for that weekend. So I think it's sad because the I there's dude seeing a midget at full song, dude, on a on a quarter mile track just ripping is one of the coolest things you can see in terms of racing. It really is. They're inc- I love them, man. They're so much fun to watch. And they just don't get the love that they used to. And I think a big reason for that is money. I think the cost of them has become insane. And what they get in return is not as good. I think, a, you know, that's a, a two you know, that, that's a, 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 a double-edged sword there where, you know, part of the reason why they don't have the money that they, you know, in terms of purse and stuff like that is you don't get as many people showing up for them. Um, which is sad. You know, you look at when we went to four crown and Eldora was pretty full, but I mean, you look at Kings Royal and it's not even close, you know, Kings Royal, it's, sold out it's packed right it, for crown it was you know 75% of that which is a, a big difference when you when you talk about Eldora so it yeah i just i don't know man it breaks my heart cuz that's like i cut my teeth on on midgets you know what i mean that was the first dirt car you know other than an outlaw car that i started working yeah. on and learning about and i love them and they've all but died out here in california you know they're yeah it's it's sad. There's very, very little midget racing out here. Um, you know, they just, yeah, it's just a bummer, man. It's just a bummer. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, see, uh, the, they don't even have a schedule for the, for 2024 for the Western States midgets. I don't know if that comes out later or if they're just not, I don't know. Yeah. Don't they know. don't have one out for power. Eye either. So, yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, definitely going to be an interesting, interesting year of racing. But anyways, you guys, that's going to do it all for this episode. Now, before we go a uh, couple things, we will be gone until 2024. So we will be off the next couple of weeks. We will be back. Hold on, I got to check my calendar real quick because I got to see when it is. Um, so we will be back on January 5th. That will be our big Chili Bowl breakdown. Um, Chili Bowl starts on the 7th, I think. So we'll be back before then for Chili Bowl. I know we got Gateway Nationals and stuff going on right now. We'll 
and we'll talk a little bit about some of the indoor stuff, but chili bowl, that's the big one. Yeah. So, um, we'll be back for, we'll be back for that. And then after our chili bowl show, we will basically do a chili bowl recap and then we'll be off until the season picks back up. Um, you know, pretty much into January going into February. So anyway, so that's what we got going on. Um, Thank you very much for joining us. I uh, hope all of you have a awesome holiday season and a good start to the year. Keith, my man, enjoy Christmas. Have fun with the family. Don't work too hard. I, I, uh, I'm i scheduled to work Christmas this year, so I'll be spending my Christmas at work, unfortunately. Uh, we got some other things planned for the kids, so that way they still have a good Christmas. Um, but yeah, you enjoy yours as well, and everybody... I will. All the listeners, thank you for making this year possible. Um, you guys don't understand how much it means to me having a bunch of people listen. Um, Definitely. It's only going to grow from here. Yep. Yep. It's been fun. And uh, yeah, it's um, great that we get to do this. And, you know, the show's growing slowly but surely. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. So um, hopefully. Hopefully, uh, things will improve on the NASCAR front. Otherwise, like I said, we'll be moving to strictly dirt because I'm tired of complaining about the same shit and no one listening. So, NASCAR, stop being a wall. Do something. But anyways, <laughs> we'll leave on that note. But anyways, you guys, that'll do it. Thank you very much as always. Please download, share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Get this out to anybody that you know that might like racing, friends, family, and everything in between. Do all that for us. And we will be back here in 2024 to kick off a new season and start it all over again. So until then, as always, Keith, my man, take care. And everyone out there, have a good one. <laughs>